Welcome to the Urban Church Podcast. If you would like more information about Urban, please visit our website at lifeaturban.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the message. Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. And it says this, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Speaking of himself. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven now turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 5 Ephesians chapter 5 starting in verse 25 and it reads husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church Gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And he's speaking of his church. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word today. God, I I thank you, Lord, that you are awesome and that you're going to speak to each and every one of us in this place exactly what needs to be spoken. God, I pray that you'd help us identify today uh, what you were talking about when you talked about church. God, not what culture says or thinks, but God, what your word declares. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. In Sunday school, they were teaching how God created everything. You guys remember that class? Okay, maybe. Teaching how God created everything, included human beings. Little Johnny, here's little Johnny again. Little Johnny, if you, if you got named Johnny, I'm just so sorry. I don't know how that follows you, but. Little Johnny seemed especially intent when they told him how Eve was created out of one of Adam's ribs. Later in the week, his mother noticed him lying down as though he were ill and said, Johnny, what is the matter? Little Johnny responded, I have a pain in my side. I think I'm going to have a wife. (laughs) And some of the guys in here are like, man, I wish that's the way it was, right? Let's go lay down. Anyway. Later on that week, little Johnny, uh, once again, uh, later on that week, the teacher led the class with the Pledge of Allegiance and instructed them to put their right hands over their hearts and repeat after him. He looked around the room and started the recitation, I pledge allegiance to the flag. When his eyes fell on little Johnny, that's right. When his eyes fell on little Johnny, he noticed his hand over the right cheek of his buttocks. Johnny, you need to put your hand over your heart. Little Johnny replied, it is over my heart. After several attempts to get little Johnny to put his hand over his heart the teacher asked why do you think that is your heart because every time grandma comes to visit she picks me up and pats me here and says bless your little heart and grandma would never lie that's right grandmas do not lie bless your little heart i pledge allegiance to the flag 
<laughs> now, in both these, both these cases, this is not little Johnny's fault, right? I mean, little Johnny looks bad, but it's not little Johnny's fault. I mean, he thought this was where his heart was because grandma would be like, oh, bless your little heart, you know? And, and he thought that he could birth a wife because, you know, are you with me? <laughs> he misunderstood the, the Sunday school teaching, but, but neither of these were little Johnny's fault. Are you with me? It's because his grandma patted him and said, bless your little heart. And it's because, you know, the story got kind of off a little bit probably in Sunday school. And so he thought he could birth himself a wife. Okay. Why are we talking about trutch? Because here's what I've come to realize, that if the world has the wrong view of what church is, it's not their fault. It's not, it's not because they've come to have this understanding. It's because we as grandma, are you with me, have been patting them <laughs> and saying, bless your little heart. We've been, we've been showing an image or a vision of the church to them, and so now they have the vision and image of what the church is. Are you with me this morning? Okay. This is not their fault. It's not people's fault. When, when people have the view, and, and if you missed last week's message that Katie preached, you've got to go online and get it because it's amazing. Uh, if, you, if, if people have the view that the church is the place that judges me, then it's not their fault. Somewhere along the way, someone that called themselves the church judged them. Are you with me? Okay. If people have, have, have the view or the image that church is boring, it's not their fault. Somewhere along the way, the church showed them a boring image. Okay, And so we have to have a clear understanding of what the church is. See, when you and I see church, and hopefully you, know, uh, you don't see boring, hopefully you don't see judgment, hopefully you see uh, what I see. You say, Ben, well, what do you see when you see church? This is what I see when I see church. I see a life-giving, loving community of Christ followers who believe in the power of the Word of God to change the world. That's what I see. Okay, I see a life-giving, loving community of Christ followers who believe in the power of the Word of God to change the world. Unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, when we see church, the rest of the world sees it backwards and they see trutch. They see something completely different than what we see. Why is that? Because we can't just be a life-giving, loving community when we come together. We've got to be a life-giving, loving community all the time. Are you with me? We've got to display this. This can't just be something that, hey, come and see what church is all about. People should be able to tell every day what church is about by seeing your life. Okay? But unfortunately, the world sees it backwards. And, and so we came up with this definition of, de- definition of trutch. Uh, when we had a lot of people emailed in, they talked to their uh, unchurched friends and say, hey, what do you think of when you hear the word church? And so they emailed me back all these responses and we put it into this definition right here, trutch. This is what the world sees. That slightly odd group of people that gather together on Sunday morning. That's you. You should have came to the Saturday night service. Okay. That gather together on Sunday morning and talk about irrelevant things pertaining to a guy named Jesus that did some fascinating stuff a long time ago and also had some good teachings. Okay, that, that's one of the things that people are saying. An organized religious group that wants my money. A place where I get judged. A building with a steeple. Okay? Now as you pulled up to Washington Elementary School today, we don't have a steeple. We don't even have a building. We're meeting in a school. Okay? 
hopefully as you've come, and whether it's your first time or second time, you've been coming for a while, hopefully you've come and you've found a place. And, and listen to me, I've talked to a lot of people, not just here as we've started Urban, but as I've been a pastor, we've talked to a lot of people. And that one, honestly, one of the number one fears is, is this, is like, I don't know if I will fit in. I don't know if I belong in church. I think people will have the wrong view of me, that, that I don't belong there, and I'll, I'll be judged. Okay? Now, we could probably ask for a show of hands, but then you might be afraid to raise your hand because people will judge you, all right? Okay? So we won't ask for the show of hands. But I know for my wife, when she first was, was, uh, became a Christian, and a matter of fact, even before she became a Christian, uh, she got invited to church, and she was afraid to go. Why? Because she was afraid that people would know her stuff and judge her, okay? But as we know church, at least as I know church, and hopefully you're coming to know church, that that is not it at all. We are a place, man, where you can expose your stuff, that, man, this is my struggle, this is what I'm going through, this is what I'm dealing with, and you know what you'll find? You'll find that, guess what, somebody else sitting right next to you is probably going through the same thing, or worse, (laughs) okay? And we come to find that, wow, this is a great place to get healed. This is a great place to get restored. This is a great place. Listen to me. If you stay out there with all of your junk, you're going to keep your junk. You got to listen to my wife's message last week. Okay? But man, this is a great place. And I don't mean the building. I mean the community of people where you can come and say, man, I'm struggling in, in my marriage. Or, or man, I'm not even married, but I'm struggling with my purity. Or I'm struggling with some anger issues. Or I'm struggling financially. Or I'm struggling with this or that. And you're not going to find people that are going to judge you. You're going to find people that are going to want to help you because we love you. Are you with me this morning? Okay? But unfortunately, that's not what the world sees. And so what we need to begin to do is we need to begin to have the correct view of church ourselves because this is what has happened is the world has developed somehow this view of what church is and rather than us changing the view rather than us changing the culture and the way they see church what happens is is we begin to adapt to that view and not only do we begin to adapt but then we begin to kind of have those same feelings towards our own church it's the truth i've been there i've been a pastor on staff at a at churches before where I begin to think negatively about my own church. That was no one's fault but my own. Okay? How did that happen? I began to hear people talking. Oh, well, this church, they only want that. They only want that. And pretty soon I'm working at that church. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's all we want. <laughs> Wait a second. Um, no. Okay? And I know that as, as a pastor on staff, if I can begin to adapt that view, surely other people can begin to adapt that. Are you with me this morning? Okay? And so what needs to happen? Look at what happens in Matthew chapter 16, okay? In Matthew chapter 16, the question is asked by Jesus to the people that are following him. He doesn't ask anybody else. He asks his disciples, okay? In other words, he asks all the church people, hey, what is the world saying about me? Who do people say that I am? It's really the same thing we're talking about right now. Because if we have a clear understanding of who Jesus Christ is, then we can have a clear understanding of what the church should be and look like, and therefore we can give a correct definition. So Jesus puts out the question, hey, what is the world saying about the church? What is the world saying about me? And listen, this is what he says. Well, some are saying, are you with me? Matthew chapter 16. Some are saying that you're John the Baptist. Wrong. Others are saying you're Elijah. Wrong. Others are saying you're Jeremiah. Wrong. Or one of the prophets. Wrong. All of their definitions of what the church is or what Jesus were wrong. Coming from the world. And Jesus hears that. And Jesus knows they're all wrong. 
What is the world saying about the church? Well, they want my money. Well, it's boring. Well, it's a place where I go to get judged. That is all wrong, okay? But Jesus doesn't stop there, okay? Jesus does not stop with that. He says, okay, that's what the world is saying about me, but Jesus redirects and says, let's get the correct definition of the church. Let's come up with the correct understanding. Okay, that's what they're saying. But then he says this, okay, but who do you say that I am? Why does he do that? Because he wants to know that if you have the right definition, then now we can begin to bring the right definition. Okay, so then he redirects. He says, okay, but who do you say I am? Notice this, okay, we're going to get right into this. Notice this, is that he literally has a focal point. What's the focal point? It's himself. Even though they have the wrong definition, who do people say that I, Jesus, am? Well, that's the wrong, but, you know, okay, that, but, but he's creating a focal point for his church. And then he says, who do you say that I am? Listen to what, what Peter says. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's it. Boop. Focal point. Jesus says, wow, good job, Simon. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Listen to me. The definition of the church cannot come from man. The definition of the church cannot come from an organization. The definition of the church cannot come from just a community of people. We are a community of people because we've already got the definition, and the definition has to come from the Word of God and Jesus Christ himself. Are you with me this morning? Okay. In essence, Jesus says, listen, here's the focal point. Okay? Not only is it about me, but good job. Uh, you didn't get that from man. You didn't get that from yourself. But Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ has revealed that to you. What's the focal point? It, it, it's Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, here is something we have to understand. And then I'm just going to give you three quick things. Here is something we have to understand. That if little Johnny has his hand on his rear, saying, Pledge allegiance to the flag, okay? We cannot just tell little Johnny, little Johnny, you're wrong. We, we can't do, just do that, okay? Why? See, here's what's happened for far too long, okay? The church has told people, you're wrong. You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Thus, we've become a place that judges people. You're wrong, little Johnny, that's wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. So now we, we, the view of the church is, man, it's the place that judges me. Great message last week. And if we, if the world has that view somewhere along the line, then they've been, they've been judged. Okay? And that's why they have that viewpoint. We have got to begin to correct that because I, as I've come to know the church, and yes, it's been a process, and yes, I've been a community of people before that, man, I felt judged, but I've also been a, a part of a community, the church of Jesus Christ, where I found hope, I found life, I found restoration. The church should not be a place of judgment. The church should be a place of restoration. The church should be a place of hope. The church should be a place where I can go and bring my stuff and then not just say, you know, have someone say, you're wrong. Let me put it to you this way, okay? How many of you guys have ever had pain in your body before? If not, I can fix that right now. No, I'm just kidding, okay? You've had pain in your body, okay? Well, when you go to the doctor because you're dealing with the pain, now, obviously, for the first couple of days, you can maybe deal with the pain, okay? Maybe I just got a cough, sore throat, okay, I overcome it, Okay? But if all of a sudden that pain persists, let's just say I have a pain in my right side, and that pain continues on and continues to get worse and worse and worse. 
And I go to the doctor. And I come to the doctor. And he runs some tests. And he comes back and he looks at me and he goes, man, you're in pain and it's appendicitis. Okay. Did you hear what I said? You're in pain and it's appendicitis. Okay. And if it doesn't get taken care of, it's going to rupture and you're going to die. Okay. Yeah. You're in pain. It's appendicitis. Okay. What do I do? What if that was your experience at the doctor? That's it. Final. Here's a bill. 150 bucks. Thank you. What would I walk away? I'd walk away feeling hopeless. Okay. And I'd probably never go to the doctor again. Or at least not that doctor. But what would happen if I went to another doctor and I came in because I want a second opinion? (laughs) The last opinion was, uh, you're in pain and you have appendicitis. Listen to me. I know I'm in pain. That's why I came to you. I don't care what you call my pain. I want my pain gone. You can call it whatever you want. You know? I mean, make up a name, you know? Call it knee to the ribs. I don't care. You know? Smurfitis. Whatever. Make up a name. It doesn't matter. I'm in pain, and I want the pain gone, okay? So I go to the next doctor, and I go in, and I'm just like, man, I got this really bad pain in my side, and and man, I just, it hurts really bad. And the doctor runs some tests and comes out and goes, man, you're in pain, and it's appendicitis. I'm going to begin to have flashbacks of my last doctor. And I'll just finish it for you, doctor. And guess what? If I don't get it taken care of, I'm just going to rupture and I'm going to die. Yeah. You know? What, what, what kind of a doctor is that? I'm coming to the doctor because I'm in pain. I'm coming because I want the pain taken away. I don't care how, what you label it. I want a plan of action. You know why people feel the way they do in church? Because for far too long, people come in. Listen, people know they're already in pain. People know they've got issues. Am I the only one in here that has issues? Thank you. Three of you have issues with me. (laughs) Fantastic. You know, I love you. (laughs) And people come because they know they have issues. But for far too long, we've been like that doctor. And we sit up here and we say, you have sin in your life. I know. And if you don't take care of that sin, it's going to kill you. You're going to go to hell. Okay. And then they sit in that church and we just keep telling them, you have sin. It hurts and you're going to hell. You have sin, it hurts, and you're going to hell. We're just like, I'm only going to take that for about three weekends. <laughs> and then I'm going to go to the next church, but then I go to the next church. Oh, yeah, yeah, you've got sin. You don't get to take it, it's going to kill you. Okay, what do I do? Listen to me, people are coming to the church not so we can identify that they're in pain and they have sin. <laughs> they already know. They might not know what it's called. They might call it issues, but I've got issues. I've got stuff. Good, you're in the right place, okay? But what if we were like the doctor that just, I, oh, let me help you identify your issue. It's called, you know, lust. Okay, what do I do? Stop lusting. I don't know how, you know? I mean, what if the doctor just said I had appendicitis, go take care of it? What do I do? Are you with me this morning? See, the church needs to be a place of restoration. It needs to be a place where there's a plan of action. We cannot just go around. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. It does no good as we're sitting at work or we're we're going out on the town or going to a movie and someone walks by and they're like, oh, man, I know what their issue is. 
or your roommate for that matter. Well, I know what their issue is. If we're the church, we've got to help. Are you with me this morning? This week in one of the devotionals, uh, I was reading, and I wish I could remember exactly where I was reading. I want to say it was Galatians uh, chapter 1. Could be totally wrong, but it says this. You who are spiritually minded, you who are, in other words, you who are the church, if you're the church, we look at those that have issues and we become a source of restoration. That's how we know for the church. Are we helping people or are we just identifying? You've got appendicitis. <laughs> Sucks to be you. What do I do? <laughs> Go figure it out on your own. Are you with me this morning? We have got to be a place of restoration. Not, and I'm not just talking about a Sunday morning, oh, great game plan, okay, let's go. I'm talking about daily, every day. What good does it do as people walk by and say, oh, man, I know what their issue is. Oh, man, they, they this, they that, they this, they that. Look, you can identify the issues all you want, but you are not helping the situation at all. What's that old saying? If you're not, if you're not helping the, the, the problem, you're a part of the problem. Listen, as the church, we are not to just be a part of the problem. We are to be the answer. We're the light of the world, a city set on a hill. We can't be hidden. Do you read the verses with me? We're the salt of the earth. But what good does it do to be salt in the shaker? You've got to be dumped out. That's the church. Are you with me? I mean, it's salt in the shaker sitting on the table is a great table ornament. Oh, look at the salt. Wow, I love salt. I got a nice steak sitting in front of me. And I, I gotta, I, are you with me? Okay? Church. The church. Here's the problem is our focal point has gotten off. Let me just give you these things real quick out of Matthew chapter 16. As seen in Matthew chapter 16, uh, just let me give you this one. Number one, the church has priority. The church has priority. In other words, the church has a focal point. We have priority. A focal point. Okay? Now listen to me, too often times because we become maybe ingrained in a church, the focal point, uh, tragically enough, is not Jesus Christ. The focal point is as long as you come to this gathering of, of, of people, you'll be okay. That's a lie. As long as you do. No, the focal point has to be Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 16. Who do people say, I am? Who do you say, I am? Well, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Right. And on that, I'm going to begin to build my church. Jesus Christ has to be the focal point of everything the church is, does, and will be. Are you with me this morning? Okay? And other people look for churches. Well, I want to go to this kind of a church, or I want to go to this kind of a church. Listen to me. We need to stop looking at style, and we need to start looking at direction. We need to stop looking for, well, I really like this type of a worship, or I, I really like this type of a message, and, and well, Pastor Ben, he yells at me a little too much, and I want to go to some place where it's just a little quieter, or, or I, want, I want this. I wish he wore a robe. Look, I'll put on a robe if you want me to. Okay? <laughs> Next week, I'm coming out. Okay? We need to stop looking at, at, at style, and we need to look at direction. Uh, the only thing you need to find in a church is if there's a big arrow pointing towards Jesus Christ. That's it. At the end of the day, did it point towards Jesus Christ? At the end of the worship, was Jesus Christ pointed to? At the end of the message, at the end of an outreach, at the end of an Easter egg hunt, are you with me? 
Man, is it pointing towards Jesus Christ? The Bible has strict warnings throughout it. If any preaches another gospel, run. <laughs> if they're preaching, listen, if I get up and I preach my, 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 little, my little spiel every week to get more people involved or to build our finances or, man, let's, you know, let's, you know, let's, you know, let's get our, let's buy Washington Elementary School, you know, whatever it is. Listen to me. The church is not a building. We can, honestly, we could have the largest church in the world without ever owning a building. Okay? Man, the church, what we need to look for is, is it pointing towards Jesus? Is it building his kingdom? Jesus says, I'm the priority. I'm the focal point. If you know anything about interior design, uh, that, that you start with one thing. You start with a focal point. And you know, it's sometimes it's a, maybe sometimes it's a piece of art. Maybe sometimes it's a fireplace. Too often times it's the television. There's the focal point. Get the swivel mount. Perfect. Now let's structure everything around it. Okay? <laughs> you start with a focal point. Because if you don't have a focal point, you're, you know, and, and most people, maybe they don't want, maybe, you know, like when you're in college, you don't give a rip. You know what I mean? It's just like, hey, my focal point is my pile of clothes in the middle of the room. You know what I mean? And some of you, you've never graduated from that season. <laughs> I know I'm still working on it, and I've been married for 13 years. And, you know, it's just, oh, there's the focal point, you know. <laughs> the kids love it. They're just jumping off the bed, you know, into the pile of clothes and stuff. It's like having a tree with leaves. It's awesome, you know. <laughs> Sometimes I join them. Oh, okay. Okay. But you have a focal point, and then everything else is built around that focal point. So the minute you walk in the room, you just know. If not, you walk in the room, and, you know, and, and some people, it, you know, <laughs> it throws off my zen. Okay, I'm not, not being serious, but, okay. And it's just like, whoa. Okay, and it like, it's like, oh, I can't, you know, I'll be in here. Okay. Too often times, that's the church. Because you walk in, and it's like, man, that was, that was a great building that was a great talk and man the music was amazing but where was jesus where 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 was where was jesus he's got to be the focal point and, and i've come to this uh this this realization that um the, the church is not you know the church is built on a set man but that set man is not the pastor of the church can i just say this that, that I, i've been in movements and i've seen other churches and that's the way they want to do it that's fine but as far as urban goes i i am not the shepherd Jesus is, New Testament, look at it, read it. He is the chief cornerstone. He's the shepherd over his church. It's his church. And I tell my wife this all the time. I said, baby, I'm just the sheep herder's dog. That's all I am. You know how the shepherd, you know, he has his little staff, right? I'm not even his staff. This is his staff right here, okay? I'm not even the staff. I'm just a little dog that goes around yapping. (laughs) And so, you know, I get up here and I just yap, you know? And what am I doing? I'm like, you know, get back with the rest of the sheep, all right? You know? I'm just the dog that just runs around. That, that, that's all I do. I, I, what do you want, master? <laughs> okay, and then I just go yap, and then just, all right, here we go. Let's get back on track, okay? Jesus is the focal point. He is this. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, too, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He is the one that's building. What does he say? And on this, I'm going to build my church. What's he saying? On the understanding, Peter, that I'm the focal point. Now, let's begin to build. Number two, the church has purpose. What is the purpose of the church? It's to build the kingdom of God. That's it. 
to build the kingdom of God. It is the vessel in which Jesus Christ is now building his kingdom. How is he building his kingdom one person at a time? Sure, maybe there'll be times when lots of people, but just one person that gets touched by the grace of God, it's the most powerful marketing tool for his kingdom ever. I've been touched. How many of you guys remember that day when you got right with God? How many of you guys need to get right with God today? It's like, well, I'm not sure if I remember, you know, carry the one. Okay, I don't know, but I remember that day. And I was just so radically touched by God's grace that I just wanted to go tell everybody about how awesome God is. And just like, wow, this is the best thing ever. Okay, this is what Peter discovered. Christ the Son of the living God, let's go do this thing. You know? And then it was Peter in the book of Acts that stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached in 3,000 souls. Why was that? Because he had a, a revelation of who Jesus was in his own life. And so he's, the church is the vessel in which he's building his kingdom. And so every church, local church, urban, other churches, you go down the road and name them, their job is not to build really large gatherings. Their job is to build the kingdom of God. Are you with me? That's our job. He's the focal point. We've got to build unto that. When I see new people come in, I, I get happy, okay? When I meet new people and I have a chance to share about, you know, not, and I, here's the thing is I don't share about Urban. I, I, I share about Jesus Christ. And if they say they're looking for a church, sure, yes, I want them to come to Urban, okay? I, I want that. But I get so happy when I meet new people that are exploring. And, you know, what's this Jesus thing? And the reason I get happy because I know, man, once they get touched by God's grace, they're going to be so excited and they're just going to want to touch other people. This is going to continue to build the kingdom of God. There's a purpose. What's the purpose, man? It's to build. What's his kingdom look like? Ben, that's great, but what's, what's his kingdom look like? Okay? I got a phone call uh, this last uh, two weeks ago about some people and they were inquiring about our church. And they had some questions. They said, you know, I'm a part of this one church right now, but I, I just feel like the focus has got off. And it's no longer about Jesus. It's about their agenda. And they just keep pushing their agenda. And I'm looking for a church that preaches Jesus. And I said, well, I think we might work. You know, come check it out. You know, we, we do our best, you know. And they asked me about some certain things and whatnot. And, um, and as I was talking to them, they began to share with me some of the things that was happening in their church. And I just had to think to myself, that is not the church. Just because it says church, just because we have urban church does not make us a church. The church looks like something. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. And we'll finish up. Galatians chapter 5, if you ever want to know what the church should look like, and you can filter this through your own life and say, man, am I really the church? Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, and for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Okay, here's what's not the church. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and then it goes on to say, you know what, I've written a lot. Anything that even remotely resembles these things, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What is the vessel that's building the kingdom of God? The church. 
But if these are a part of you, then you are not the church. And when they begin to tell me of some of the things, I was like, that is not the church. They can put church all over. They can put church at the beginning and at the end, in the middle, anywhere they want, but that isn't the church. Are you with me? What does the church look like then? Okay, anything that even remotely them, that's not it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. What's it saying? It's saying against these things there's no argument. If these things are seen, then you can, I'm telling you, it is the church. You can't argue it. There's no way around it. If these things are in there, it is the church. Listen to what it says. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, the church, have crucified the flesh and its passions and its desires. What is it saying? It's saying this is what the church looks like. If these other things are there, run, baby, run, because that is not the church. This is the church. And against such things, there is no, there's no argument. We know it's an apple tree because it has... We know it's an orange tree because it has. It's not that difficult. Why do we, why do we try to, to bring complexity to the church when it's really easy? I mean, read the Bible. You know if the Bible was written in such a way that any commoner back in the day could understand it? Study. You, you'll see. But yet we bring this complexity to it. Like, it's, it's something really difficult. No, when the Bible says something, it really means that. It really means that happened. <laughs> That's it. It's final. We don't have to try to give our interpretation or definition. The purpose, he's building this church. What's his church look like? Look at Galatians chapter 5. Last one will end right here. The church has power. The church in Matthew 16 has power. It's got priority. It's Jesus. It's got purpose. What is it? Building his kingdom. What does his kingdom look like? Galatians chapter 5. Lastly, it's got power. Hmm. It's got power. Acts 1.8, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to do some stuff, to be my witnesses of Jesus Christ. Once again, the focal point. The church has power. Study church history. One of those powerful movements on the planet has always been and always will be the church. Yeah, sometimes it got too political. Yeah, sometimes it got too militant. Yeah, sometimes maybe this or maybe that, but listen to me, it was never the church that got off. It was the people that got off within the church. Why? Because Jesus Christ is in charge of his church, and there is so much power. Listen to what it says. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I don't know about you, but that to me speaks of some pretty intense power. Power. Great, great power. What's, what's the power for? The power over sin? Power over sin. For some reason... Our culture has painted this picture, and maybe they don't even call it sin. Maybe it's an issue in their life, and they see no way out. But there is a power that is greater than sin, and it's called holiness. It's found in Jesus Christ. It's way more powerful. It's way more potent. Man, too many people, man, they're just like, I don't, I don't know, man, this, this issue, and it's, and, it's, and it's overcoming me, and I don't know how I can overcome it. You, you just need to call somebody. Yeah. Who are you going to call? Da, 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 da. Okay. I don't know what I would do 
Listen to me, when I talk about calling the church, I'm not talking about getting a phone book out and looking and and finding a number for a church and calling the secretary and saying, hey, I need to make an appointment with the pastor. I'm talking about calling the person next to you, on your right and your left. When you are going through something, let me tell you something, there is so much power in you. What would happen, man, listen, the Bible says, man, you shall receive power individually when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But what happens, think about it, when you're in a dark room and you're in a dark place and you turn on a little flashlight, oh, there's light. But what happens if all of a sudden your friend turns on a flashlight and then your other friend and then your other friend and then your other friend and pretty soon, are you, are you with me this morning? Pretty soon there's so much light in that place, it's overcoming the darkness. There are some things that, yes, you can't fight alone, and that's why you have the church. There's so much power in the church. When you're facing something that seems insurmountable, when you're facing something that's so, man, don't just sit there and dwell in your agony and your pity and just, you know, just sit there. And, and man, that nothing bothers me more when, 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 when people get upset with, with people in the church. When I was sick. Well, did you call anybody? No. I was sick, and they didn't do anything for me. Well, did you call anybody? No. Well, how are we supposed to know you're sick? You know? If something is happening, pick up the phone, okay? Call somebody, you know? And let them know, because there is so much power in the church. Yes, power to overcome sin, but look at your Bible. Power to overcome sickness, disease, emotional distress, turmoil, poverty, There's power. There's power. But you have to humble yourself and pick up the phone, call somebody. Let me tell you something. I don't know where I'd be today without the church. I don't know where I'd be. I really don't. Man, the church, and I mean people like you have been there for me through every, every, every time I faced the turmoil in my life. Man, you're there for me. You're there for me. And this is what's going on. Let's pray. Man, this is what's going on. When we started this church, Obviously, starting a church in any economy is difficult because we're not selling a product. <laughs> really. We're not selling it. We're just, we're just bringing the good news of Jesus Christ. I was so blown away what God's done in, in urban. You look around and, man, you know, Saturday night or Sunday, man, God, God's continuing to grow our church and God's continuing to add great people and leaders and different things, but God has taken care of this church. And when we started, Man, we, we, we were all in, man. We, we put everything in. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do our best. And we, we have a budget, and we have things set up, and we have this. And, man, we contacted everybody we can. Could you help us start this church? But we came probably about, gosh, when was it? June of, of last year. And we came to a point where we began to look at where we were at. And we always told ourselves we would never stop the church, but if we need to, we, Katie and I would go get other jobs to help support the church. And so we looked at it. Because we don't want to make decisions on our own, we took it to the team and said, guys, this is where we're at financially as a church. And I said, we're willing to take jobs. And he, we, we gave three game plans. Here's the game plan. We'll take jobs. I said, but if we take jobs, we're not going to be as available. We're not going to be able to do, you know, this, this, that, and the other thing. We're willing to do that if that's what it takes. And uh, we shared our need with the church. And gosh, about nine people that are sitting amongst you right now said, no, we don't want you to have to do that. We want you to continue to give yourself full time to the church. And so we're going to make up whatever the excess is. Whatever there is, we're going to help make it up. And so literally monthly, they would write an extra check above and beyond what they were already giving and said, we're going to help make up the deficit. Wow. What is that? That's the church. That's the church. I don't know where we would be. I remember, and I'll finish with this story. I remember I got a phone call when I was 16 years old. 
I got a phone call, and I didn't know who it was. They said, is your mom and dad home? I said, no, my, my, my mom and dad's not home. They said, well, can you get a hold of them? I said, I don't know. I'll try. And they said, okay, well, I need you to understand something. This is very serious. And I need you to understand that your uh, brother, Mark, and he was a police officer, still is. And he, he's been in an accident, and they're giving him an 8% chance to live. Um, they're airlifting him right now to the nearest trauma center. And you need to get a hold of your parents and get them there as soon as you can. I'm 16. I love my family. I love my brothers. I'm 16. I'm like, how do you drop that on a 16-year-old? But they had no choice. And so I, I hung up, and, and the, the presence of God came over me, and I, I got calm, and I picked up the phone, tried to get a hold of my parents. Could not get a hold of my parents. They were uh, away, and they were at a Bible, a Bible meeting. Could not get a hold of them, and I didn't know what to do, so I just began to call the church. I began to call everybody I knew that was a believer. And I said, look, I need you to pray. 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 A little while later, my mom called, Ben, what's going on? I told her. And uh, they said, we're on our way. And then they began to call the church. And the people began to pray. They began to pray, began to pray, began to pray. Two hours later, I start getting reports from China. I start getting reports from Holland. I get started getting reports from around the globe of how people have heard within two hours' time. People have heard within the church. People have heard what happened to my brother, and they said they were praying. And now they're calling their prayer groups. And they're calling their people. Literally, I don't know how many thousands of people within two hours were beginning to pray for that. What is that? That's a lot of flashlights coming on. Are you with me in a dark room? Man, I had my little flashlight and man, it was okay for a little while, but what did I do? I began to call the church and I began to call some more people and, and so we arrive at the hospital and the doctor said it doesn't look good. He was in a coma. It doesn't look good. We don't know when he's going to come out of the coma. What do we do? We picked up the phone and began to call the church and we began to call people. Why? Because there's power in the church and those people began to call and they began to pray and literally within hours he came out of the coma when they said it might be weeks and he came out of the coma. They said when he comes out of the coma he's probably not going to know who you are he may have memory loss he may not be able to speak and talk and sure enough he comes out of the coma he can barely talk he's slurring his words he sounds like an infant he can't even form the words and all this stuff and and so what do we do we begin to call the church and we begin to tell other people why because there's power in the church and people begin to pray and people begin to pray and so then they take him in for a cat scan they find out hey look um you know he might regain his mobility he might regain uh the the ability to talk but it's going to take a bare minimum of six months working with the therapist and so what did we do? We began to call the church. We said, look, this is the next report. And, and so now all of a sudden he begins to recover and he begins to recover. The doctors came to us. The doctors looked at us and said this, we don't know what you're doing, but whatever you're doing, keep doing it. And we were very bold in our faith. And we said, what we're doing is we're having people pray. So you know what he did? He began to grab his prescription book. I kid you not. And he began to write a prescription, pray pray. An, un, an unsafe person, not a church attender, an unbeliever said, look, it's working. Have more people pray. Have more people pray. And he began to write this on his prescription. He began to hand it out to people to pray. And pretty soon in the hospital, I kid you not, as he was there for weeks, he began to uh, be known as the miracle child. And the doctors were talking about, oh, you mean you're looking for Mark Brinkman, the, the miracle child? You're looking for this? Uh, whatever you guys are doing, it's working. It began to astound the doctors. And the doctors said, well, it looks like he's going to recover, um, but he's never going to be able to go back to full-time police work. So what do we do? We called the church. And the church began to pray. And the church began to pray. And there's so much power in the church that as the church began to pray, he began to get his mobility back. He began to get his speech back. And in less than six months, he was back to work full-time as a police officer, not behind a desk, but out in the field. Not only that, let me blow your mind. Not only that, he is now recognized in the whole entire nation, around the nation. He literally travels and teaches on this uh, for being the number one DUI officer in the nation. He's been on prime time uh, with the big wigs. He's been all these places. The average police officer arrests 21 DUIs a year. 
he arrests 221 DUIs a year. That's the power of the church. That's the power of Jesus Christ. That's the power. But you got to pick up the phone. You can go talk about it with your friends. I'm, I'm struggling. I'm going through this. Oh, I know what you mean. Me too. I know how that feels. Where's it going to get you? There's power in the church of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. God, I thank you this morning that your church, Ephesians chapter 5, just close your eyes for a minute. Ephesians chapter 5, and by all means, I want to encourage you this morning as your eyes are closed. If this is your church, make it your church. If this isn't your church, find a church and get a church that you make your church. Because there's nothing more powerful than a community of believers coming together with one purpose and one cause to build his kingdom. There's nothing more powerful than when you're struggling to have people come around you and not just talk with you about your struggles, but to say, no, there's power in the church. There's power in the church, and we can help you overcome that struggle. We can over, help you overcome that pain. We can help you overcome that poverty. We can help you overcome. Oh, yeah, we'll be wise. We'll be strategic. But at the end of the day, man, we're going to grab your hand. We're going to pray with you, and we're going to believe with you. It's power, the church of Jesus Christ. It's power. Just your eyes closed. I, I, last night, I just God spoke to me so strong in my dreams. Ephesians chapter five. You see what He does? He says, "Look, I'm just like, just like, just like." Jesus Christ did with the church husbands, you got to do with your wives. And then it goes on to say this Jesus washed over his church with the water of the word. I feel like God told me, Ben, you have built a foundation over the last year with the word and with teaching and with preaching, and you've built that foundation. And you got that foundation, and I've been washing over the church, but there is a next level. And in 2010, I'm going to begin to release myself and, and begin to show people greater things. Because the Bible says in Mark chapter 16, verse 20, that he will confirm his word, the washing of the water of the way. He'll confirm his word with signs and wonders, fought with power. And I believe that 2010, we're going to begin to experience and see the power of God in this church like we've never seen it before. And last night in my dreams, he began to show me. And he began to speak to me, and I believe this for you today, that the power of God is present to heal, that the power of God is present to restore, that the power of God is present right now. Listen to me, there's times in our life when we need to just apply wisdom. That wisdom builds the house, and through understanding its rooms are filled. But there are times in our life when we just need to encounter the power and the presence of God in our life. And in one moment of encountering that power, in one moment of encountering His presence, things begin to change. Health happens, life happens, healing happens, restoration happens. A marriage is restored, a body is healed, a provision begins to come. I believe that with all my heart.